Hello everyone and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Matthew Amsden. Matthew is the CEO and founder of Proofpilot, and he has 20 years of experience in planning, designing, and managing complex online research experiences. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on for an episode for today. It's my pleasure. Cool. So, um, yeah, in the introduction there, I, I mentioned how you're the CEO and founder of Proofpilot, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that today because your company seems really interesting to me um, for what the problem is trying to solve and, the, and uh, the information that me as a consumer can get from that. And it's all to do with clinical trials and health decision making. So um, if you wouldn't mind, what's just the very brief description of what is Proofpilot before we get into the other questions? Yeah, so Proofpilot is a platform to design, launch, manage, and participate in what are called longitudinal human subjects research studies. Um, and clinical trials are a component of longitudinal human subjects research studies. Often when we think of clinical trials, we think of pharmaceutical drugs or vaccines. And Proofpilot certainly does work with the pharmaceutical industry, but the techniques uh, that you use in a clinical trial can be applied across a whole variety of other research questions. Um, that includes um, health and wellness, it includes medical devices, it includes social services, it includes uh, dietary supplements, cosmetic treatments. So Proofpilot's goal has always been to continue to serve those organizations that have been doing clinical trials for decades, since primarily the end of World War II, uh, and democratize these techniques so a much broader set of research questions can be answered using these gold standard scientific tools. Okay. And I, I think that's what's also exciting because, as you said, normally I, I see people on Twitter sharing PubMed articles you know, about all the different um, research bits and bobs that are going on out there. But you see very little research when it comes to consumer goods, you know, be, as you said, a supplement, um, a new type of food, a snack, a gadget. And it seems like your company has been used by, I, I mean, I was on the website and I saw you have Juve as a current example there. I mean, the red light therapy. I literally use Juve. It's, um, you can't see it in the video here, but it's literally on the other side of the room uh, about two minutes before we started this interview. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, to me, I love hearing that these companies now, these brands are actually coming to organizations like yourself and saying, hey, can you do some research? Does our product actually do anything? versus what we're marketing as. And I think that I, I love, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the results that come out of these kind of studies. So um, what, what's an example there that you could give us, to, like, I guess, maybe Juve is a, like red light therapy. What, what, what's the well, example there? Well, I actually there? have a couple that are next to me so I can share a couple of things. I think the first thing that's important to note here is that the traditional clinical trial has, it has been done in the pharmaceutical sector is far too expensive for most consumer brands uh, and wellness organizations to do. Uh, and I say that only because I wanna make sure that everyone understands here that consumer brands are not putting their products out there and not doing clinical research because they're doing something nefarious or wrong. It's because these techniques have been so expensive for so long, there just isn't the return on investment for them. You know, a pharmaceutical company, when they know that they're going to make a billion dollars from a drug, they can do one of these trials and they can spend 11, 12 million dollars on it and it makes sense. But for many other organizations, that kind of calculation just isn't reasonable. So Proofpilot, as its nature, is a tool to essentially reduce a lot of the logistical over, overhead for these trials. So in the case of Juve, a vast majority of the trials can be done completely and entirely at home. 
So we are doing several studies uh, with Juve. Uh, one of them that is running at the moment is on, on essentially wintertime blues, and it's obviously uh, wrapping up at the moment. Uh, in that particular effort, what we're trying to, to glean out is does using Juve on a daily basis actually reduce uh, some of the symptoms that we associate with low levels of daylight in certain parts of the world? Uh, and there are various other studies on skin, on hormonal balance, on sleep uh, that will launch within the next uh, couple of days to, to a couple of weeks. Um, other studies that we're working on at the moment, and um, I'll give you some additional graphics on these um, if you'd like to include them. Uh, there is a study called the Dermain study that's looking at dietary supplements. Uh, these happen to be um, two of the dietary supplements that are being trialed in the study uh, to see whether or not it improves uh, skin tone. Um, and hair strength and nail strength. This is being run by a uh, very new um, and very trendy uh, diet and lifestyle style brand in the United States. It is completely remote. It's currently recruiting. So any of your listeners who would like to uh, join that particular study, they can go to proofpilot.com and sign up. Uh, like I said, in this period of social distancing, it is something that you can do completely at home to improve your health um, and to contribute to science. Um, without having to go anywhere. Uh, so those kinds of studies in the health and wellness space, because we don't have to have a brick and mortar infrastructure, uh, we can leverage the UPS, FedEx, DHL uh, folks who are literally heroes these days uh, to bring various different components that are required of the research study and data collection, whether it be answering a survey or whether it be taking a selfie to, for a, a remote dermatologist to assess skin tone, um, you literally can do it all at home. Well, yeah, so it sounds like the um, so the participants in the study, they're not people who already have the product. They're people who may not have it, and then you send it out to them, and they then get involved in the study. Yeah, yep. So um, to give you an example of a pharmaceutical uh, study that we're doing, um, we are uh, working with uh, Eli Lilly uh, at the moment, and they are doing a virtual trial. And uh, for folks who have serious migraines, um, they are going to get a box that looks like this that has um, a small device like this that um, they wear around their wrists uh, for 90 days. And every day they uh, answer a survey about what level of uh, migraine pain that they had and other activities. Um, this study is another that is completely done at home. It happens to be funded by and sponsored by a traditional pharmaceutical organization. But this movement of making research studies more oriented around a participant versus oriented around what the researcher um, is uh, gaining steam quite quickly. Okay. And um, how do you control or do placebo in these kind of cases? Do you have sure. to do that in these type of studies? So in some cases, there are placebos, um, but placebos are not necessarily the be-all and end-all of a clinical trial. In this particular effort here, the Dermaid study, um, there are what's it's a case control. Um, and so everyone gets active ingredients, but there are various different kinds of active ingredients in the arms. So um, I don't actually, um, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't actually read what's in these, but um, in this particular case, if I was in another arm of the study, and by the way, I'm not in the study, it would be very biasing to have <laughs> someone like myself in it. But if I were in the study, um, my friend down the street uh, might receive another set of formulations 
Um, and they wouldn't necessarily know which set of formulations they got. And so in the analysis component uh, a bit later, we would actually compare one, uh, one group of supplements versus another group. So again, um, everyone's getting active ingredients, um, but uh, those active ingredients might be quite different. In the case of the Juve study, um, mo obviously when you've got one of the big Juve devices, um, it's kind of hard to do a placebo. Uh, so in that particular case, we do something called a waitlist control. So some people receive the Juve uh, immediately um, and start their treatments immediately. Other people, um, they get the device a little bit later. And so we're able to compare um, at certain points in the study, depending on whether an individual has the device or whether they don't have a device. So um, there are just two of many different types of orientations that are alternatives to the placebo control trial that we hear about all the time. Hmm. And I guess because that's the, the question that might come from that is, you know, the uh, the weight of the evidence that comes out of this, like how much can people trust what's coming out of a proof pilot research study? Yeah. So a couple of things related to that. The first that I'm going to say is that no one should take the results of any one research study, regardless of who it's from, as gospel. That is not the scientific method. The scientific method is you do a study and you get some results. And if you can replicate that study in another study in a different environment, at a different point in time, in a different situation, then you are strengthening the evidence around whatever that particular question happens to be. Um, I think that there is, uh, not I think, I know that there is something in the academic world called the replication crisis where particularly in psychology, uh, there will be some research study that goes out that says some crazy thing. And then two weeks later or two years later, someone goes, well, I'd like to replicate that research study and, get, and see if we can get the same results. And they don't. The same thing has happened. I think the, the most famous element is in nutrition research where someone will do a study on eggs. They're typically doing retrospective studies at that particular point. And they'll do the study and eggs are healthy. And then they'll do another study, eggs aren't healthy. And then another study and eggs are healthy. Those kinds of situations are part of the scientific process. So again, you should never take one research study and say, oh, um, vitamin C cures the common cold. Well, that one research study needs to be replicated multiple times on proof pilot at Harvard, at Johns Hopkins, at, in India, in the United States before you can actually have a significant amount of confidence. The second thing that I'll mention um, related to uh, the trust and evidence issue. Uh, Proofpilot is used by consumer brands. As I mentioned, it's also used by pharmaceutical organizations. Um, University of California, San Francisco is considering using it. Uh, we have a large scale agreement with Google and Harvard and MIT. Um, University of Florida has used Proofpilot for various studies. So it is very much a democratized orientation um, to who we feel can conduct research studies. Academics may have academic expertise in a certain area, but folks in the health and wellness space or patients, participants, consumers themselves have lived experience around specific areas. So every research study should be reviewed. Who did the study? What are their interests? What are their biases? Has the study been done multiple times? Is it being done in various different situations? That's how you actually get to a point where you can say that the results are valid not that one study has this particular problem and was done by this particular user. So look for multiple studies that say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with the conflict of interest situation then? 
So Proofpilot is largely an automated platform. So as an organization is designing uh, a research study, uh, we have two levels of review. The first level of, re of review is a proof pilot. We want to make sure that an organization is not purposefully biasing the study by creating a biased design. And we, we insert ourselves very early if that happens to be the case. There is a second third-party review uh, in the United States. It's called an ethics review uh, sorry, in the European Union, it's called an ethics review board. Um, it is typically conducted by a government organization for higher risk studies. In the United States, they are third party um, independent organizations called institutional review boards. These are organizations that are specifically set up to make sure that participants are treated with respect, that studies are pr protecting participants' privacy, and that the level of risk and benefit um, of participating in the study are appropriately communicated to a participant. So when we're talking about conflicts of interest, there are actually literally two levels there. The first level is, is there a design bias um, to this study? And we insert ourselves there to uh, correct those issues if there are any. The second is to make sure that any biases or any design flaws or any communication flaws in the research study are addressed before the study goes live. And that's ethics review process for those who have been through it at an academic institution. I mean, sometimes it can be really annoying. Um, but it is a very important step. So once those two steps are done, the study goes, activates. Now, in an environment in which you're doing the study manually, you could have individuals who are actually conducting the study who unintentionally or intentionally are biasing the study results because there's an interaction and a participant doesn't want to be uh, doesn't want to be truthful uh, to the person who's collecting data about them. Um, you know, those those issues happen. Proofpilot is automated. So once the study launches, it would be very difficult for that kind of unintentional bias um, or intentional bias due to an interpersonal interaction with a, uh, a biased uh, study professional. It would be really difficult for that to happen because Proofpilot is a machine. Uh, the question is gonna be asked to the participant and the way that it was designed to be asked, period. So as the data comes out, uh, you can be pretty confident that, that those conflicts of interest are not gonna be there because it would be very difficult for the for a unbiased design to, to have the computer say, I'm suddenly on the side of Juve, or I'm suddenly on the side of Harvard or, or Eli Lilly, because it's, it's a machine that doesn't, doesn't have that kind of conflict. Okay, yeah, because, you know, normally when people are also looking at an article and say, like PubMed, they want to look at, you know, um, I guess, typically, did the pharmaceutical company sponsor this? And that's why the, the data is leaning towards a certain conclusion and i guess that would be my question same thing in Proofpilot. If, if you've got a consumer brand that's paying for this for the research to be done um how do you mitigate that risk that the results not always going to be towards them in favorably it's a good question and it really is at the core of Proofpilot's business model most traditional research studies are funded on a, a study by study basis so when a Big pharma company is saying they want to study XYZ drug. They're paying $10, $20 million to a vast variety of organizations to do a study on that particular drug. So there is a high level of interest in making sure that that drug actually has a positive outcome. Likely, similarly, in academia, um, academics are funded for specific research studies. And, so, and their incentive is to produce some kind of journal article. And so there, the economic incentives are, you know, with that big pot of money, they want to be able to publish on that particular. So they want something interesting out of the study. Proofpilot is not a study by study per project 
orientation. Uh, Jew, for example, um, they run multiple studies with Proofpilot on in any given year. So if, for example, Juve doesn't seem to improve blood pressure levels, it's not a particularly big deal uh, because Juve has four other studies running at the same time, one of which may have a positive outcome. So the incentives for an organization to, say, to, to actually bias results because they put so much money into that one study just isn't there because we spread the, we spread the wealth around a variety of different questions. Same thing with this with this supplement company. If one of these particular supplements doesn't work to improve hair, skin, and nail health, it's not a particularly big deal because maybe another um, formulation of the supplement does uh, as well. So it's really that concept of study replication, that concept of leveling the playing field so folks can run multiple studies at once on different research questions. They don't 100% answer your question there to say, you know, there's, um, is there a bias? Is there a conflict of interest? Because quite frankly, Everybody, doesn't matter whether they own the company or they're just a citizen out there in the world, has a bias. The answer there is to set up a variety of different methodologies to actually control for that bias in a way that's more natural um, to a situation rather than trying to say, well, I'm going to read to see who sponsored this study, because that's only giving you a certain component of the, of the answer. Mm-hmm. And these studies, are they all published? Some of them are, uh, and uh, some of them aren't. So the the goals for studies differ uh, depending on who's running the study. So in some cases in uh, this dietary supplement study, um, they're they're actually looking to figure out which one of these uh, formulations they are going to sell. Uh, The ones that don't work as well, um, they may not end up selling. And so in that case, the, um, the goal is not publication. Uh, in the case of uh, some of our uh, health and wellness brands, uh, the goal uh, might not be an academic journal publication, um, but it might be a publication in a blog post in which they make the data available. So it's, as opposed to a traditional peer-reviewed effort, it's a more kind of community-reviewed um, orientation. So all of the data and results are there for someone to make their own, um, their own insight on. Um, not even every academic study that we do is the goal publication. Sometimes it's simply care improvement. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of continuous process, uh, quality improvement. So the answer to that question is journal articles are not always the end goal. Um, They are sometimes, but not always. Mm -hmm. And I guess this comes into um, the opening question was, how would you then use clinical research in the health decision-making process? Sure. So I'm going to come back to that replication uh, question, which is uh, for, uh, for anyone listening here, if you take nothing away from this conversation, seeing one article that has positive results, regardless of who actually funded that particular study, is not your answer. You should not take that as gospel. You should be looking across various different modalities. So journal articles, blog posts, academic evidence, actually seeing studies that are out there in the world and involving yourself in making some of those, making some of those decisions. Uh, not every academic publishes their articles. If they don't have, if the article doesn't have some super sexy finding to it, um, that it's harder for them to get it published. So don't look at just one of these particular orientations to make a decision. Um, involve yourself in research. Um, talk to organizations that you are thinking about. Let's say that there is a medical device out there that you have been looking at and thinking, you know, 
my budget's a little more strange than it was perhaps a month ago, um, but I really got, I'd really like to learn more about this particular uh, thing and see if it works for me. Talk to that organization. See if you can do an end of one trial with them or see if you can get a group of your friends together to run a trial together and you know, um, suggest proof pilot at that particular point. Um, use multiple tools to make, uh, to make a decision. And you'll note in what I've just described that I actually said, you know, think about anecdotes. Anecdotes are part of the scientific process. If we did not have anecdotes, we wouldn't know what to do proper studies on. So don't dismiss something because it's an anecdote, but look at it critically and see if there's an opportunity there for, do, for you to do a study on yourself, just an end of one, um, or to suggest a, a broader study to whomever the producer or sponsor of that effort might be. Mm -hmm. And um, are you quite excited by seeing consumer brands now wanting to research their products more by using services like Proofpilot? Absolutely. I mean, we started this conversation by talking about Juve. Um, and when Juve and Proofpilot got together, I'll be honest, and I thought, red light therapy, I'm not so sure about this. But they seemed to know what they were talking about. They had a lot of those anecdotes available. Um, so I said, sure. I, you know, I didn't want to bring my own personal bias um, in. And the results that we're starting to see, both personally, um, for myself, because I, I have a device and using it and I'm using it, as well as the research that has come from the, the academic press uh, and the research that Proofpilot is doing, we're seeing a lot of fairly positive results. So my bias in that was, was wrong. I am of the opinion that health comes from a whole variety of different solutions. It's not just a pill from a pharmaceutical organization. Pharma is fantastic and wonderful. I would never want to berate the impact that they've made to our healthcare environment. But I do believe that there are a whole variety of other things that can make an impact in health. And some of those things come from the consumer space. Some of them come from ancestral knowledge. Some of them come from your grandmother. Um, so, and some of them will be new techniques that come from digital health organizations, from supplement companies, uh, from Instagram influencers. I believe that there is a much broader set of solutions out there in the world. And I'm very excited about giving those organizations an opportunity to run the same kinds of studies that pharma has been able to do for the past you know, half century or so. Give them those same tools so they can have the same level of evidence um, that our pharmaceutical and medical device world does. And I think, again, when I first came across Proofpilot, that's what excites me is actually seeing brand names that I might recognize and go, oh, I didn't realize they were running some research on their product or, you know, they wanted to find out something. It's, it's nice for me to see that brands are wanting to ask these questions and put their products to the test. They just, I, I hope they publish this stuff or make it available in a blog post if it doesn't get to the academic level. That would be fantastic. It will almost always be available, even if you don't necessarily see a study um, you might actually see a product that before it was released, there was a study done and there were various candidates uh, for product release. And some of those candidates got, got abandoned because they didn't do anything. Um, so even if you're not seeing um, from a proof pilot perspective results in a traditional format, you may be seeing it in what actual products get released. Mm -hmm. um, so if anyone listening to this wanted to find out more about proof pilot or participate in one of your upcoming studies, um, how do they go about that? It's super easy. Um, in this period of we're, we're taping this uh, during the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis, pandemic, whatever the terminology that you want to use. Um, so 
For those of you who are practicing social distancing, you can go to proofpilot.com and see a whole list of studies that we're recruiting at the moment. Uh, they are going to be everything from uh, social service studies that are taking part in unique portions of the United States or Europe uh, to nationwide or international studies that you can do anywhere in the world. Just proofpilot.com, uh, browse through the research studies that are available there, um, choose one that you might like to, uh, to enroll in, and start the enrollment process. If you're not eligible for that first study that you, that you tried to enroll in, don't worry. Um, there are lots more and others will be suggested to you that you might be eligible to participate in. All right, great. Well, thank you again, Matthew. Um, I actually really enjoyed listening to the whole um, idea behind Proofpilot, and I look forward to the evidence that comes out of your organization for all these consumer brands. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.